0: Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you've preserved it over time. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you reveal its truths to us. Thank you that it's a light to our feet and a lamp to our paths. We pray now by your Holy Spirit that you will open our minds and soften our hearts to receive what you have to say to us and give us the courage to change, to act, on what you challenge us with. And we pray all this for the glory of your name and the benefit of others. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning everyone. This morning's reading comes from Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, is that through the Gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this Gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory.
1: Hi, friends. Great to be back with you sharing in God's Word from Ephesians 3. It's been a spectacular journey, hasn't it, that Paul's taken us on through this letter, right back in chapter 1 from uh, the grand vision of all things being brought under Jesus Uh, In chapter 2, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen the way in which Paul describes this reconciling work of God through the gospel. God has reconciled us. He's made us united with himself through Christ. He's raised us up with Christ where we were spiritually dead. He has given us new, eternal, wonderful life. Uh, But not only that, we're not only reconciled vertically, we're also reconciled horizontally in this new people that Christ has created uh, we've been given this unity as his new humanity, um, as this new citizenship, this new family, this new temple as uh, that Paul writes about at the end of chapter 2, this dwelling place of God by his Spirit. And Paul urges us to remember that, to remember who we now are in Christ so that we might uh, live it out with one another. And what Paul wants to do now as he gets into this next part of his letter is he wants to pray, he wants to share what it is that he prays for uh, the people reading this and not only the first people reading that, but for all who would it would be passed around onto and even passed down to through the ages to us. So Paul's going to go on and share his prayer and he starts doing that in verse 1. But we're not going to get to his prayer today. We'll get to that next week because he gets his train, train of thought interrupted. It's sort of cut off. Partway, and you see that in verse 1 there, um, there's, he, he gets halfway through a sentence and, well, you get the picture. Uh, he gets sort of uh, derailed in his train of thought to something else that's really important, something he needs to address. Uh, it's a big issue, and you see that in verse 1. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul's in prison as he's writing this letter. Uh, And he knows that there's a question that's going to come up for those people reading this letter. If everything you have been saying is true, Paul, all these spectacular things that you're saying, if that's really true, how come, how is it that you, how how come you're in prison? If, If it's true that God has done all of this... Uh, that he has brought about this incredible reconciliation, that his, his plan is being fulfilled in and through Jesus. How is it that you are experiencing this suffering? Uh, it, it, gets much, it gets worse, actually, if you know a little bit about Paul's story that we find in other parts of the New Testament. He was often in prison. Uh, he was often uh, whipped, beaten, had stones pelted at him by angry mobs so that he's within an inch of his life. And so you get this picture of the life of the Apostle Paul and from one perspective it is pathetic, it's weak, it's full of disappointment and grief and suffering and opposition. And the question that Paul knows that his suffering is going to raise in the minds of the people reading this letter is, How can I believe this gospel, this good news, this great announcement of what Jesus has done? How can I believe that? If if this is the life of the one who has told me of this gospel, how can I believe it when you look so weak, Paul? See, Paul knows they're going to be tempted to discouragement. Uh, look down at verse 13, right at the end of our passage. He says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. He knows that they're going to be tempted to be discouraged, to have their... The the courage leaped out of them as they look at Paul and everything that he goes through. Not only that, but you can see in verse 13, they're not only something not to be discouraged about, they're they're actually glorious. They are glorious. They're wonderful. Uh, So there's something really bizarre and deep and transforming going on here. Uh, Paul has some kind of strange totally different new perspective through which to view his sufferings it's like he's um he's got a pair of glasses on uh, it's, it's like we're, we're all sort of viewing the world through our, our some some pair of glasses some set of assumptions about how we make sense of and interpret the things that are going on and paul paul's put on this different set of glasses uh, these gospel glasses that give him this new perspective on all of his sufferings. That they can he can see them not only as not discouraging, but as glorious. His sufferings are glorious. And you get that. He hints at that really powerfully in verse 1, before he goes on to the rest of our passage, when he says that he's a prisoner, yes, but he's not... A, a, and everyone reading that would know, oh, he's a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He's a prisoner of Caesar, but no, these, these, diff- these glasses that he's wearing allow him to see something totally different going on. He says in verse 1 that he's the prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's been taken captive by Christ. He's been swept up into Christ's kingdom. And his suffering, his being imprisoned, is actually for the sake of Christ. An outworking of his serving of Christ not of Caesar, uh, his sufferings in this perspective are glorious. And why are they? Why, why can he see these sufferings as the Ephesians' glory? Well, he gives two reasons, really, through the rest of this passage. Uh, from verses 2 to 7, the first half of this, he goes into the, this glorious mystery. There's a mystery that is glorious and pr- provides the, the grounding for this new perspective on life. Uh, and then the second half of our passage uh, he turns to the glorious church, which is the outworking of this mystery. So, he, he, he uh, first of all, though, he talks about this glorious mystery. I don't know if, whether you like mystery books or mystery games. Our family's been getting into Cluedo recently. Uh, I remember playing Cluedo as a kid. We've gotten into it again. And it's just, I, I mean, I, I really like it because it makes me, um, it kind of makes me feel like a bit of a Poirot or a, a um, Sherlock Holmes, you sit there with your little um, notepad, making notes and trying to figure out the great mystery of who done it. Uh, so, um, uh, but the mystery that Paul's talking about here is is that it's actually um, a completely different sort of mystery than that. It's not your your Poirot, Sherlock Holmes kind of mystery where you need to uh, just be uh, incredible, have incredible powers of deduction to figure it out. That's not this kind of mystery. When Paul talks about mystery in uh, his letters throughout the New Testament, it's not, it's not that kind of thing where it's just a little bit weird or spooky or mysterious that we re- need special powers to figure out for ourselves. Now, when Paul talks about mystery, he's talking about something that we cannot ever see using our own wisdom. We cannot ever find our way to. Um, no matter how smart he was, Sherlock could never figure out this mystery on his own. Uh, Paul uses this word mystery to describe something that can only be understood when it's revealed to you by God. It's not a mystery because it's really tricky to understand. That's not it. It's a mystery because it's something that has to be revealed to you by God. It has to be made known to you. And Paul's big point in this first chunk is that this mystery has now been made known, this mystery has been revealed. Uh, he says that in verse 3, um, this mystery that was made known to him by revelation, as I've already written about briefly. That's probably talking about the first part of his letter, um, his outlining of this mystery. And so he, ex- he expects them to be able to see that he, he sees this mystery, he he's, has insight into this mystery of Christ. It wasn't made known to people of previous generations, he says in uh, verse 5. The full revealing of God's purposes was something that was only revealed when Jesus came. It was hinted at and sort of glimpsed through the Old Testament, but now it is fully revealed uh, and revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles in verse 5. Holy apostles and prophets, these foundational witnesses to the gospel in in the life of the church. So, uh, this mystery has now been revealed, and this mystery being revealed is a big part of the, um, the, the, the new glasses that Paul's wearing, through which he sees his own sufferings as glorious. Well, what is this mystery? Well, his, Paul's already met, talked about it. He's talked about it in chapter 2, and he gives a summary of it here. This mystery in verse 6 is that through the gospel... The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. This one new humanity in Christ. And that's what we looked at last week in that second half of chapter 2. This amazing news that God has created something new in Jesus, this new humanity so that now the people of God are no longer defined by one place, but are from every nation who come together through faith in Jesus. And Paul knows that this, having this mystery revealed to him, means that this is now the centre point of history. Uh, This central reality of all the universe has now been made known to him. Uh, and he his framework is that for him to serve this gospel, for him to have become a servant of this good news, and even as he serves it, to suffer for it in whatever way that suffering comes. Paul knows that this serving of this gospel is an absolute and utter privilege and a gift. It's a gift of God's wonderful overflowing grace. That's what you get um, in verse 7 there. Paul says, "I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace." By the gift of He can see that him being swept up into this mystery that's now revealed is grace, grace upon grace. It's the gift of God to him. And it's given to him through the working of God's great power. So Paul has been swept up into this this wonderful mystery that's now revealed. And it is all of God's grace. And because of that, he can see his suffering as glorious. Um, But there's another part of this. the, uh, The other half of these gospel glasses that Paul has on. Not only the glorious mystery that is now revealed in the gospel and that has been given to us through the witness of the apostles and prophets that we have in the Holy Scriptures that has come to you, this mystery that is now revealed. Not only that, uh, Paul then, the second part of this, he, the other part of this incredible new perspective is the glorious church. The glorious church from verses 8 to 12 there. And that's really the outworking of this mystery, this glorious mystery, uh, he says. Although I am in verse eight, although I am the least of all the Lord's people, Paul's deeply aware of uh, the reality of indwelling sin in his own heart, the the things that he's done in the past uh, before he came to Christ, and he's deeply aware of his lowliness. And he says, and although I am the least of all the Lord's people, this grace. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So the outworking of this mystery, well what is it? Paul goes on to say in verse 10. His intent, God's intent, the God who created all things and who has now revealed and sort of brought to its fruition, this plan, this mystery, that God, his intent in doing that was that through the church, this reconciled new humanity, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. God's Purpose in all of this, this great movement of all history, is that through this new humanity, through this church, His manifold wisdom. Um, the word "manifold" there—it uh, kind of—it it means multifaceted, multicolored. This, uh, like a, this diamond that you hold up, that you, every angle that you look at it, it comes a different, beautiful perspective. Light sh- shining off it in every direction. Uh, A a wisdom that you can never plumb the depths of. And God's intent was that that beautiful wisdom, that multicoloured, sparkling, incredible wisdom, would be made known through this multicoloured community of people brought together in Christ. What Paul is saying here is that this new community that cannot be found anywhere else, Uh, that's only found in Christ, reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. This new community is like, it's like God's display home to the world. Uh, You know what a display home is? Uh, You you go into the display and and it's the best sort of uh, example that the the, 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 um, developers can create to show off all the incredible features of the home that you might build. Um, There's something like that happening here with the church. And Paul says, this new community is like, it's it's God's display home. Uh, it's, it's, It's where God's wisdom, this beautiful manifold wisdom is made known. But who's it made known to? That's what he goes on to say. Who's it made known to? It's made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Uh, this display home not only shows God's wisdom to the world, um, it, 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 this church is the, dis- the display of God's wisdom to the, the heavenly forces of evil, the spiritual forces that are aligned against God, Satan, and all those who are aligned with him. Uh, the, the, the Bible's clear, and we're going to look later in this letter, in chapter 6, uh, about this unseen spiritual realm. Led by Satan, uh, in, in which which is deeply and fundamentally opposed to God and all His plans and purposes, uh, and with which with whom we are enga- engaged in an ongoing battle. So that's later on in the letter. But Paul's point here is the church. I'll use a different um, image. The church is like God's great victory banner that he's waving to these. Spiritual forces who are opposed to him. This gathering of, this miraculous gathering of people that can be found nowhere else is God's great sign to Satan that he has won, that he has won the victory. This new community united in Christ, united to God and to each other. This diverse, multicolored, community, together approaching God with freedom and confidence. Isn't that beautiful in verse 12 there? In him, in Jesus, and through faith in him, we together now may approach God with freedom and confidence. And as we do that, we declare to Satan, we declare to the, uh, the spiritual forces of evil that Christ is king, that he is one. Uh, that his kingdom is glorious and his people, his church, uh, he has created it through his own death and resurrection. Uh, he's won the back, the victory. It is a glorious reality. Uh, I want to share with you um, a little uh, part of a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. Uh, so if you know anything about this book, it's C.S. Lewis describes this interaction between a junior and a senior devil. Um, uh, Screwtape, the senior devil, and Wormwood, the junior devil, and they're discussing a patient, so a, person, a human that Wormwood's in charge of uh, tempting. Anyway, um, Screwtape writes this. Uh, the, the patient has recently become a Christian, uh, and Screwtape writes, One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Uh, and he goes on to describe and he encourages Wormwood to um, get his patience to fix his eyes on um, different aspects of his experience of this church. Uh, he says, when he gets to his pew and looks round him and sees, he, he sees just that selection of his neighbours whom he has hitherto avoided. Um, you, may, you want to learn, uh, you want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbours. provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. Um, So uh, you can see what he's saying there. Uh, He wants uh, his patient to view the church, this gathering of people through these worldly eyes with glasses, the world's glasses on. But you get a glimpse here, as C.S. Lewis really um, wonderfully puts this in. And Screwtape says, when he says one of, the, one of our great allies is the church itself, he says, do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her, spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. See, that's the reality. That's the reality. The church... For Satan and his forces is terrible as an army with banners, rooted in eternity, bound together in Christ. And what Paul is wa- wanting us to do is to take off those worldly glasses and put on gospel glasses to view what's really going on here. This demonstration of God's wisdom in the church. Well, that's why he can say, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. Not only that, see them as your glory. They are glorious. Paul has this new perspective, these new glasses to view reality, to see clearly. So friends, an outworking all of all of that, what are we to make of this passage? Well, you see here that the, the church matters. The church matters. It's not a sort of side note to God's work. The church is at the heart of of all that God is doing in the world. The church matters. And what Paul particularly wants to focus on here is whatever suffering for the gospel, for this new humanity in Christ, for the church, whatever suffering, whatever whatever rejection that he experienced, whatever pain he went through, was far outshone by the glory of this mystery revealed, this incredible new reality, this banner waving to the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, far outshone by that glory. Um, and he wants the Ephesians and us to know that from his, about his suffering, about Paul's suffering, but he also wants us to know it about our sufferings. If we have this same perspective, we will share in this viewing of whatever sufferings we go through for the gospel as actually glorious. I want to finish with a story uh, about a man called Charles Simeon who was a, a pastor in England uh, a long time ago and it was actually uh, instrumental in, um, in some ways in the gospel itself uh, and its influence in Australia. Uh, but It was in England and Charles Simeon was in many ways uh, a symbol of failure. Um, he pastored a church for decades and all the way through he suffered intense and ongoing systematic um opposition uh not not, not primarily from outside the church from, but from within it um he was refused he was the rector of the church the, but he was he was um, refused the right to his his church wouldn't let him preach in the evening service um and uh, eventually, it, it came to a point where they would—it's uh, because he was preaching the gospel, and they didn't like that. Uh, they would they would lock their pews uh, so that no one else could come in. <laughs> and uh, at one point, Charles Simeon put uh, brought in these some other chairs um, and put them down the aisles, and the parishioners came and chucked them outside so no one else could come in as well. Uh, he just had ongoing. Um, opposition to what he was doing and the gospel he was preaching. And later in his life, someone asked him about this and asked him for his um, perspective and why he kept sort of persevering. And And he said this, My dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I am getting through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the pricking of my legs. Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head has surmounted all his suffering and triumphed over death. Let us follow him patiently. We shall soon be partakers of his victory. If we are united to this one who has gone ahead of us, who is himself our head, whom we are united to as his body then we will share in his sufferings, but we will also share in his resurrection. Um, And our sufferings for his sake are actually all part of the glory of belonging to him, being swept up into this mystery now revealed. So friends, um, go into this week with these these glasses on, this perspective on your sufferings. Can I pray for us that uh, God might do that among us? Our Father, we pray that you might enable us to see reality through these lenses, through this perspective. Help us, O God, to see the glory of this mystery that's now revealed in the Gospel. Uh, Help us to see the glory of your church, this gathering in Christ, that is a, a victory banner being waved to the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Uh, Lord, we pray that having this gospel perspective will spur us on. You might, by your Spirit, give us your energy and power and perseverance to continue to give of ourselves for the building up of your kingdom and the glory of your name. And we pray that for Jesus' sake. Amen.